I do want to say thank you as well for many of the texts and uh, the uh, voicemails, I should say, that you left me because there's no way I was picking up my phone over the last two weeks as three of the five Donnarumma's went down with COVID um, over, you know, from Christmas time. And uh, it was a gift that just keeps on giving. Um, and, you know, thank you. It was such an encouragement for me to have you checking in and just making sure that I was all right. And you can continue to pray for us. Energy is slowly returning to our home, specifically to our, the parents. You know, the kids seem to have their energy, but not us. Uh, and let's just be honest, it feels like COVID's ripping through South Jersey again right now, doesn't it? It's just ridiculous what's happening right now. And I feel like once again, we're in this place of constantly shifting and changing plans over and over and over. Is anybody else exhausted by this besides me? Hands nice and high. Some of you are like, oh, I love change. Yeah, this is, no, this is exhausting, isn't it? It's just such a pain. And it's honestly good to know that I am not alone in this. And if you were to go back and listen to the messages that we have here at Crossbridge in the first year, or the first week of every year, I tell you how excited I get for New Year's because I get to set new goals. And I get to set new ideas of what I want to do this year and all that. And I have not done that this year. I have actually been pretty, pretty frustrated because I don't really do resolutions. I do goals. And I like to have things set up. But can we just really be honest with each other today that over the last two years, setting goals has been hard. I feel like each goal that I have set has been lambasted by COVID in some way, shape, or form because things that I can't control impact what I want to do. It's... For transparency purposes, it's really done a number on me personally, um, emotionally, and mentally. I've, I've been very, very frustrated. And as we approach this new year together, can we just acknowledge that we have faced an immense amount of disappointment? That we have, it's really okay for us to be a little cynical right now towards setting goals, towards having this grand plan of what this year should look like. It's really okay to acknowledge the fact that it's not as pretty as we think it is right now. The last two years have taught us, if nothing else, that life's not fair, is it? It's hard. It's painful. It's, it's unforgiving. It's unpredictable. And I don't want you to hear like, like, wow, this is welcome back to church. How depressing. And maybe I should just give up on this stuff. Maybe I should, you know, not set any goals or not have any plans. Maybe I should just crawl back under my covers. And if you're watching at home, that's not what you should be doing. Um, you know, and just sleep the year away until this all goes away. I I'm not saying that by any means. But I do think it's really important for us as, as teenagers and as adults to stop and just call a spade a spade to recognize that it has been hard. But as this year kicks off, for those of you whose your goals have already been shot, and you're like, man, we're, what, nine days in, and I got nothing. That's okay. For those of you who like to set goals, like myself, if you still want to set those, go for it. And when they're done right, I think they're really, really beneficial. But I do wonder if collectively, as a culture, we put too much attention on what we can accomplish in a year and really no attention on to who the person living that year out is. I mean, seriously, I, I can tell you that there have been some years personally that I have set goals and I've killed them. 
I've destroyed them. I have accomplished so much. But to be honest, I was still the same jerk that I was, if not worse, at the end of the year. And so, yeah, I could have accomplished a lot, except I looked nothing like Jesus throughout that year, or I looked less like Jesus throughout the year. And, and I could be proud of what I did, but maybe not so much about who I was. What good is a year like that? And I think we all know the answer is not the best year. And the reason for that is, is we all understand and we know that who you are is who you are is more important than what you do. Now, let me say that again for you just because I think that you need to hear this today, that, that who you are matters more than what you do. Who you are matters more than what you do. And we're going to take this idea together and over the next four weeks try to break it down very practically. If this is true, if who we are matters more than what we do, then how can we pay attention to who we are? The goals and stuff, fine. But that's not going to define our year. And when we look at the end of the year, of this year, at the end of 22, who will we be? And we're going to be doing this. And so you can notice on the seats that you have that there are little notebooks for you. And there are also uh, some pens that are there. Everybody got a notebook? You got a pen? All right, great. Um, we have these set up for you right now simply because of this, that, that we believe that there are differences in the truth of who God calls us to be, and there is this false nature to who we are that the world is constantly telling us we need to be. Who will you be in 2022? And we've given you these booklets simply for the purpose of you could write down different ideas that are popping up to you throughout this series. And then we are hoping, what we want you to do is to use this throughout the week. This is not intended for you just on Sunday morning. This is perfect for ideas, for thoughts. If you um, are like me and you like to think visually, this is for doodling and drawing. Please use it for those things. But we want you to use this throughout the week. So my question for you for today is simply at the end of 2022, will you live in the light of the truth or the darkness of the lies? And believe it or not, Jesus himself had to deal with the same exact question. Who will I be? I know that probably sounds a little weird, but who would he be in his life? And this tension that he had to carry of who would I be really came into focus, and he had to wrestle with this the last couple of years that he lived on this earth. And there was a constant temptation put before him to reject God's timing in his life and the truth of who God said he was and solely conform to the patterns of the world around him and the expectations of the people and his family that surrounded him. We see this constantly in Jesus' life. But there's this one specific moment I would love to look at together this morning, if you would. And, and we're going to find this in the temptation of Jesus. And you'll find this in the biography of Jesus uh, written by Matthew. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love you to, t to turn to the gospel, the story, the good news of Jesus in Matthew. And we're going to be in chapter 3, okay? And as you're turning there, here's what's really important to know up to this point. Up to Matthew chapter 3. We've got about chapter one, two, and half of three. They sum up a good 30 plus years of Jesus' life. And here's what they sum it up with. 
Here's his entire genealogy, and if you've ever read his biography, you know this is the part you normally skip, and you're like, oh, good, I'll scan that and get to the good stuff. Then they start to talk about Mary and Joseph more than Jesus, and they talk about all their travels. Then um, the first half of chapter 3 is really just a story about his cousin John. It's not even about Jesus. And so the first two and a half chapters of Jesus' biography are filled with almost nothing about him, just basically where he's come from. It's simply nothing spectacular. <laughs> Jesus has done nothing. He's taught nothing. He's impressed no one. This is Jesus' story. But the first thing that we read about him actually doing is visiting his cousin who's been baptizing people in the Jordan River. This is the first big moment. Would you jump with me to verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3? It says this. After he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, a bunch of people have been baptized by John up to this point, but this has never happened to anyone, that they would have been in a place where you find Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens open up, and Matthew, the best way that he could describe this moment where Jesus is being filled with the Holy Spirit is it's so delicate of a moment that it's kind of like, like this dove is coming down. And as this dove comes down, he's filled, and then the heavens opened. And I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea. But, but the way Matthew describes it, he says, the heavens opened, and then a voice comes that everyone around who is being baptized, who is watching people get baptized, that Jesus and John himself heard as they gathered, the voice of the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased I got to tell you, I love the way that the message translates this verse. It translates verse 17 as, This is my son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. Isn't that great? I love this. Jesus was marked by the Father's love and approval. And so wherever he went, this is who he is. And this is what he brings with him. He wasn't motivated by performance. He was not motivated by approval, by shame, or by blame, or by fear. He was motivated by love, acceptance, and the approval of the Father in heaven. And he lived as the delight of the Father. Like he knew that he was loved wherever he went. And he didn't perform miracles at this point, did he? He hadn't gotten some big promotion a huge raise. He didn't have a giant following of people to show off and say, God, look how great I am. Look, Dad, look, look. In this moment in time, Jesus looks absolutely no different than anyone else around him. This is the truth of who Jesus is. He is a son who is loved and everything around Jesus from this point on in his life is going to try to get him to forget this moment. Everybody around is going to try to get him to reject who he is. His life will be a constant battle to remain his true self 
centered around God's love and not conforming to the devil, to his lies, and to the lies of the world. And here's what I absolutely love, and I just need you to hear this this morning. If you're online, listen in a little closer right now. I need you to know that Jesus, he went to the cross for you so that you can know this same acceptance that Jesus knew, this same love that Jesus knew. This love that God has for Jesus is the same love that is for us. Again, I love the way Eugene Peterson in the message writes it in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, he says this in verses 5 and 6. He says, long, long ago, he decided, and he's talking about God the Father, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ and what pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Crossbridge, can you hear the Father's voice over you today? Can you hear the Father's voice from heaven saying that you, you are my chosen, you are my delight, you, you're the center of my celebration this morning. You're the one that I have spent time picking out the perfect gift for. You are the one that I've been planning to throw a party for. You, you are adopted. You are not a mistake. You are my beloved. When we are our true selves, our life is completely lived out of a place centered around God's love for us and his acceptance for us and not out of fear, not out of shame, not out of, approvance, uh, of approval or performance. But I will be completely candid and tell you that just like Jesus, our lives are a constant, constant battle against the lies of Satan and the temptations of this world and the people around us. And Satan, let me just call it for what it is, he does not play fair with us. He does not play fair with humanity, and you know that if you've been with us, if you're like, man, Jimmy, Jimmy's been talking about Satan and demons and spiritual warfare a whole lot this year. Um, yes. Yes, we have been talking about this a whole lot because this is the battle that we are in, and we can never forget this. And if, if you're curious for, about more of what spiritual warfare is, feel free to go back online, jump on YouTube, and you can go through our spiritual warfare and tactics series that we just completed. But listen, Satan does not play fair with us, and he didn't play fair with Jesus either. Do you know that? Right after Jesus is baptized, look at what happens next in his life. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he fa had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Right after this huge moment with God where the heavens open, the Spirit fills him, God speaks to him, Jesus is led into the desert for 40 days. You know, oftentimes I think it happens in God's grace in our life that, that when a huge moment with God has come, when he has changed who we are at the core, he will oftentimes call us into a time of solitude alone, into the quiet times of our life 
where he solidifies that big thing that had happened. I, I honestly do think that it's in our alone time with God where we find that he changes us the most, which again is why we want you to be working through this with your books all week long, not just for now. Now, he's out in the desert. Matthew makes this offhanded comment, like, and he was hungry. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if you've ever fasted, for 24 hours, you're hungry. 40 days? Like, Matthew, why do you feel the need to say this? Why do you feel the need to say, and he was hungry? Like, we know that he's hungry. Fasting, and for some of you, if you're not familiar with what fasting is, fasting is the intentional choice to not eat for a certain period of time. And fasting almost always has to do with food and nothing else. We can abstain from other things, but fasting is always associated with food. And it is this amazing spiritual discipline and part of our heritage um, in, in our faith as well as many other faiths. And it's this intentional way of not eating to connect with God. And now after 40 days, this is the moment that Satan comes to tempt Jesus. Let's jump to verse 3. It says this, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, now get, notice here, he's trying to get him to question his identity. Who are you, right? If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered, and he said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Okay, Jesus is hungry. And he has the absolute power to change these stones into bread. He does. We know this because later on we will see him take bread and miraculously take what's very little to feed thousands upon thousands of people who are hungry. But in this moment right now with Jesus, we find that the tempter is pushing him. I love that that's the name of the devil, the tempter. He's the tempter. He's a liar. The temptation that he's putting before Jesus is to speed up God's timing. Speed up God's timing. Do the miracles now because honestly, Jesus, you don't have anything to eat in front of you. You don't have anything. And this is actually one of the main lies, one of the three main lies that the devil puts um, and is woven into the fabric of our life. And this lie simply is this. I am what I have. I am what I have. And let me show you this to help, maybe help illustrate this a little bit. So does anybody know what, uh, what this is? It's a thick rope. Come on, if you went to Jordan with us, you should, you'll, you'll know these. What's this called? Paracord. Okay, does anybody, does everybody know what paracord is? Okay, paracord is a string, and this string is actually pretty unique in a sense that uh, it looks like one string. It looks like one string, but it's actually filled with all different strings that make it up. And, and if you're online here, check this out. See this? It's all dangly. Now, it's one string that's got many, many strings that make it up. The many strings that make it up make this a more, uh, a, sh a stronger string that you can use. And what's fascinating about this is that today what we'll do is we'll look at this as the lie, this pink string as the lie that the enemy continues to tell us that I am what I have. 
that I am what I have. And what's funny is we know that God, he's done an amazing job of telling us, I know who I want you to be. And, and I've woven you together. I've knit you one piece at a time in your mother's womb to be exactly who I want you to be. And yet somehow in our lives, we begin to believe the lies of the enemy, that these lies begin to weave themselves into our life. And we find ourselves maybe at the core of who we are knowing this is who God's made me, but, but it's hard to see it because of these lies. And what the enemy does to Jesus is, is he says, you know what? I want you to believe that you are what you have because in this moment, in this moment, not only are you what you have, but you are what you don't have, and what you don't have in this moment is food. And so the tempter says, Jesus, if you truly are the son of God, if God really is your father, don't you think he'd want you eating? Look what you don't have. Don't you think that, that if he loved you, you would have what you need to survive right now? And see, do you know what Jesus does to respond to lies? He speaks the truth. He, he doesn't try to pick apart the lie, but he speaks the truth and he says this. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is his moment where he attacks the lie with the truth. And do you know why he could do this? Because he knew the truth. Because he knew the truth. Crossbridge, if we are going to stand together and we are going to fight against the lies that the devil and the world is constantly telling us are normal, we are going to have to know the truth. We are going to have to know the word of God to battle every one of these lies over and over and over. And each lie for each one of us may look different. So we have to know what's in the Bible. We have to know God's word and the truth to fight this. This is why we soak together, why we are intentionally in Acts right now, why we go through the Bible systematically together, not because we're bored, not because we want you to check a box, but because we want you and we need to know the truth so that when these lies come our way, we do what Jesus did. I want to be the church that does what Jesus does. And he knew the truth, and that was his fight. The lie, I am what I have, can I tell you that today this is alive and celebrated in the world around us. This, this is accepted as normal for our life. We've got an entire advertising industry built around getting us to believe this lie every single day. The world tells us every day that enough is not enough. And if you want it, and you think it'll impress others, go ahead and you should buy it. Even if you can't afford it, it doesn't matter. It's worth going into debt for. Can I tell you the truth? That's a lie. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. And our value can never be found in what we have and in what we don't. Our value cannot come from our stuff, and we need to be reminded of the truth from the very mouth of God that says, this is my son, chosen and marked 
by my love, delight of my life. Jesus had nothing and knew this. What we have does not define us. And what we're going to do each week is, uh, actually, over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack each one of these lies one at a time. So we're not going to go deep into each one of them today. We're going to go into them each week together. So the tempter continues with Jesus, though, in verse 5. And he says this, the devil took him along to the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, Notice, what is he trying to get him to do? Question his identity again. Question his identity. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. And on their hands, they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Told you the devil doesn't play fair, right? So Jesus responds in the first temptation with scripture. So what does Satan do? He comes at him with scripture. He comes at him with a veiled, misapplied verse from scripture. And now from the top of the temple, the enemy tempts him to perform, to validate God's love for him. That's what he wants him to do. Now, is what the devil saying is what he's saying here true will the angels help jesus now the the answer to this is yes absolutely we're actually going to see at the end of the temptation um that the angels will come and they will uh, you know encourage him and they'll they'll care for him at the very worst moment in his life in the garden of gethsemane right before his crucifixion it says that when he's at his end that the angels come and they minister to him. So this is not a moment um, that, that, that this is going to happen. But again, Satan's trying to rush the process and make it happen now. It's not the moment. And the reason that it's not the moment, the reason that this is all wrong is because God has not asked Jesus to do anything. Throw yourself off the temple has not been God's command. It's been the devil's suggestion. There's a huge difference. And the lie that we need to understand in this one that he uses with every single one of us is, I am what I do. I am what I do is the lie. And it too is alive and celebrated by the world around us. I honestly think this lie has become so woven into the fabric of our lives, we don't even see it anymore. We put so much pressure on each other to keep on performing. And if there's free time in your day, you know what you should do? Get, get a side hustle. You can't sit around. You can't just take time off. There are industries that are built around us trying to use what little time that we have free to get more for ourselves, to keep going, to keep pushing, to keep doing more. And the devil, the tempter, is trying to get Jesus to question God. If God's truly your father, don't you think it'd be good to impress him? I mean, come on, let's be real. You've pretty much just sat around for 40 days doing nothing. Your desert time, what, what have you done? You have nothing to show for yourself. And so what does Jesus do to respond to this lie? What do you think he uses? The truth. 
On the other hand, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He attacks the lie with the truth. And do you know why he could do this? Because he knew the truth. Because he knew the truth. He doesn't have to impress his father. Because his heavenly father has already declared in front of everybody and to the world about how proud he is of his son. And his son did nothing. We're going to look more at this lie. And, and I'll be honest with you, I have a nice, solid blue book. I picked one of these blue ones because this is the lie that right now I need to say I am wrestling with the most. This is so woven into my life, it's hard for me to slow down and stop. This is my reminder of what I'm going after for the next four weeks. So the tempter, he tries one last time in verse 8. It says this, again, the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and began to serve him. The very last thing that the tempter puts before Jesus is being king over the world. This is the title of our Savior, of our Messiah, is the king. The devil is just simply offering him a shortcut. He's offering him a shortcut. He's saying, if you worship me now, you can have all of this in you know these people, Jesus. They're a nightmare. They will do nothing but hate you, be disappointed in you. They will take everything that you do and turn it against you. This is what people do. On this earth, you, you're going you're gonna to suffer, and it's going to be painful. Why don't we just skip all of that? And all the people will see you as king and adore you and love you. All you have to do is worship me. Skip it all. And the third lie that he puts before Jesus that we all have to deal with is I am what others think. I am what others think. The devil, the tempter, is trying to get Jesus to turn his eyes away from the approval of the Father to now find approval in people. What everyone else thinks about you matters more than what God thinks about you. I mean, sure, God loves you, but the people, they're, they're going to hate you so you could skip it. You could skip the pain, you could skip the conflict, you could skip the frustration and just go right to the adoration, right to where there's no conflict. And let's be real, we wrestle with this all the time in our life. That our opinion rises and falls about ourselves depending on how many likes or how many comments we get on some status. We continue to say yes to things that we don't want to do because we're worried about disappointing someone. We elevate what others think around us way above what God thinks about us. And I need to tell you that when we do this, this is a lie straight from the pit of hell, that what other people think about us is more important than what God thinks about us. And Jesus, I love it, he responds to this lie with the truth, and he simply says, 
Satan, for it is, go away. Like, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And again, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6. He comes at the lie with the truth. Do you know why? Because he knew the truth. He knew who he was at the core. He knew who God created him to be. And at this moment, the enemy leaves absolutely defeated. But the truth is, he has not stopped telling those lies and weaving them into our lives today. Jesus walks through his life always grounded in the truth, in the purity of God's word, knowing who he is, centered around God's love for other people. And yet we still find the Satan taking the same strategy with us, trying to get us to believe these lies. And, and it may look prettier to us, to each other. Everyone likes this, but, but the truth is, it's not who God has designed us to be. This is our false self. This is our true self. And the question that we will have to answer is, which of these three lies that make up our false self? This year, need to be undone. Which ones do we need to look at? Is it, I am what I have? I am what I do? Is it, I am what others think? Now, I could probably ask you right now, which one of these defines your life? Which is what you expect me to do. But here's the reality is I think all of them, they're weaved together, aren't they? They're all weaved together, and so for this year, I'm not going to ask you to undo everything to get back to being exactly with who God wants you. This is a lifelong process of trusting the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what's the lie today What's the lie this season that I need to deal with? In 2022, God, what's the one thing that I'm wrestling with this year that, that it doesn't matter what I accomplish this year if I miss destroying this lie in my life with the truth of your word? This is going to be our goal for the next four weeks, or three weeks, to look at each one of these to say, how can we be a church that doesn't believe any of these lies and be people who don't believe these lies. And as we enter into 2022, I wonder if maybe you and me put too much attention on what we can accomplish. How many things that we can keep building and doing and we do nothing but believe the lies of the world and the enemy and just make our strings longer and weave it more for him. How different would your life look if you began to ask God for the strength to loosen these ties? What if this is all God asks of you this year? What if that's it? Each time we shed one of these lies, the beauty is who we've been created becomes greater. We look more like Jesus for the sake of others. This year, would you join me in asking the Holy Spirit 
to reveal to us what lies we have believed so that we would look more like Christ, centered around God's love, so that we might love God and love others even more. How different would your marriage look? Would your parenting look? Would your friends at school look? Would your work relationships look if you looked more like Jesus, even if you didn't accomplish everything? So today what I'd like to do is to give you two to three minutes, actually, to take your book, to take your pen that's right there for you, And I want to give you two questions today to simply write down in here. And instead of saying, oh, think about that this week. No, no, no. I want to give you two minutes to think about it right now. If you're with us online, go ahead, just jot these on a piece of paper and start to think about this right now. These two questions that I'm going to ask. And and here's what I I don't want you to do is don't feel like you need to share your answers with everybody. (laughs) It's okay. You don't have to do that. But I do want you to share them with someone so that this way they can pray for you. And before we do that, I would love for you to just um, join me in praying a prayer that King David prays in Psalm 139. And this is probably the best way I can encourage you to pray this prayer from verses 23 and 24 each time you go to journal and to write this week. So um, would you just stand with me as we pray this together like King David? And then I will give you your two questions and you can just take a minute or two. Would you pray with me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Let's say this together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. The two questions for you today, and you can grab a seat, simply are, what excites or scares you most about this series? What excites you or scares you most about this series? And the second question is, which lie impacts your life the most? Which lie impacts your life the most? Holy Spirit, would you give us insight into our hearts that we do not have in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that you speak to us, that you desire us to look so much like you. And you know my excitement for this series comes around what if, what if we actually got this? God, what would Crossbridge look like? And I get so excited about families who look like Jesus and the impact this could have on our community and how many people would come to know you and lives would be changed. And what scares me, God, is the worry of us doing nothing with this. Just sitting and saying, that was pleasant or that was painful or that was frustrating. What time does my game start? What time do I need to get them to the next place? God, I, I confess both to you this excitement and this piece of scared and knowing that it 
all these paracords are made up of little strings, so many little lies, and I know that lie for me that I name as a lie is it's my job to communicate so well, and if people don't do it, it's my fault. And the truth is, you have simply called me, you've called Crossbridge, you've called us to be faithful to you. And so it's not my job. Holy Spirit, I trust you because you do what none of us can. You change hearts. Would you start with mine? God, I thank you for the ability to call out lies together. When we see one of these lies being lived out in each other, would you give us the courage to call out the lie, to speak truth so that we would look like you? Jesus, thank you for the privilege of walking through this together. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.